0: So, some of you who are quick out there may have noticed a thread running through the service so far today. Um, As we think about what it means to have our eyes opened, to be illuminated. Um, In this season of Lent this year, as we are moving our way toward Easter Sunday and the celebration of resurrection. We have been using familiar lines from much-loved hymns as focal points each week along the way. And this week's phrase is, Thy presence, my light, uh, which comes from that hymn that we sang at the opening today, Be Thou my vision. Um, Be Thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping Thy presence, my light. And so, this idea that it is the very presence of Christ or the Spirit of Christ that brings light to our eyes to be able to see more clearly. Well, I don't know for sure that the composer of the lyrics of Be Thou My Vision was thinking specifically about today's passage uh, when those lyrics were penned, but they certainly line up very nicely. And so as I read from Paul's letter to the Ephesians this morning, I invite you to feel that thread continuing to weave its way through our worship together and see how it parallels what we have already sung about this morning. So follow along as I read for us now. which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God for the people of God and God's people say, thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit and breathe life into the words of this servant that they might carry a word from you into our hearts and lives this morning. Amen. In this first chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, similar to some other writings of Paul, we get to overhear him praying for the church. And in hearing that, I hope that we can hear him praying not only for the church in his day, the church at Ephesus, but praying for us even now in our own day. What a gift it is to be prayed over, isn't it? When somebody prays for you and prays for something in your life uh, to be brought to reality. And, And in Paul's prayer today, what we hear him offering is is a prayer that might bring clarity to their vision as a people called to be the church. And so he begins by praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom, the Greek word that is used there is sophia, a word that is closely tied uh, both in its Hebrew scripture origin and also in the New Testament To something that comes from God. And revelation, something that is beyond our own capacity to know without it being revealed to us. Knowledge and insight that is from beyond ourselves. And so in this prayer, we see that Paul is asking that the church might receive things that are gifts from God alone wisdom and revelation. And why is it that Paul sees it as so important to pray for these things for the church, both in his time and, I would say, in our time today? Well, what Paul knows is that this experiment of a community coming together that is bound together in the person of Jesus Christ is at risk. It is under constant threat because there are so many things that can pull us apart. So many ways in which we can be divided and fragmented. In its early days, the church was bringing together people who previously had insurmountable differences. And the fact that they were choosing to share life together, to be the body of Christ as one people, was nothing short of miraculous. There were plenty of threats to the unity of this fledgling community that was known as the way. And so throughout the letter to the Ephesians, we hear Paul pleading for unity, praying for unity, longing for the church to hold fast to its witness of one Lord, one faith, one baptism bound together by the very Spirit of Christ. And so Paul prays for wisdom and for revelation so that the church might have the eyes of their hearts opened and enlightened, that they would be clear about what it is that God is calling them to. So it's worth noting at this point that when Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus, he is not speaking to an individual or merely a group of individuals. He is speaking to the body, to the church. And so as inspirational as his writing here may be for any one of us on our own, it is particularly meant to be inspiring and revelatory for us together. Paul is saying, you all, listen up, hear what I am saying, hear what I am praying for. And so if we were to go back and sing the hymn again today, we might choose to insert we and our instead of me and I. Be thou our vision, O Lord of our hearts, so that together we hear where God is. Is calling us. And what Paul then turns his attention to in this prayer are three things that he wants the church to see and to be clear about as they think about where God is leading them. The first is that the church might know the hope to which God has called you. God calls the church to be a people of hope, not a people of despair, not a people of destruction, not a people of of pessimism, but a people who live with hope. Now, to be a people of hope does not mean that we don't look at the world with eyes wide open and that we don't recognize that there are challenges and difficulties and that not everything is right with the world. In fact, to be a people of hope is to be very clear that all is not right with the world. But we lean into a hope for things to be better and for things to be realized in God's future. So how do we know if we are living as a church that is a people of hope? Well, it will show up in what we proclaim what we speak from the pulpit and what we speak in the classroom and what we say in conversation with one another and how we speak out into the world about the things that we believe matters. It will show up in where we invest, where we invest our time, where we invest our skills and our talents, and yes, where we invest our money What do our investments as church say about the kind of future that we think is possible not only for those of us who are already gathered here, but for all of God's children? And it will show up in how we live. In fact, even our very bodies become a part of our witness of hope the way we care for our bodies the way we treat our bodies the way we recognize our bodies as gift from god is a part of our witness of a hope that rests in god throughout this season of lent we are using the artwork of reverend jan richardson as focal points to help draw us into the mystery of faith Uh, through these scriptures and hymns that we are looking at. Um, This particular one, uh, she entitles, In the Heavenly Places, which references one of the verses from today's passage. But Jan is also an author and theologian, and, and Jan has this to say about this particular passage. She says, Hope draws our eyes and hearts toward a more whole future, but propels us also into the present, where Christ waits for us to work with him toward a more whole world now. As the church that is called to be a people of hope, we don't just simply point to some time in the future and say, it's going to be better. It's going to get better. One day all will be well. We invest ourselves now in moving toward that future reality in which we hope. The second thing that Paul turns the church's attention to is the riches of God's glorious inheritance. Now it probably goes without saying, but just to make sure we all are clear here, Paul, when he speaks of riches, is not talking about material possessions. He is not talking about some earthly gain or wealth. Paul is talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of God that has already been inaugurated in the coming of Jesus. And the one that we are called to participate in as it comes into full being and reality. And... The riches of the kingdom are not something that we possess in the sense that we we cling to or hoard them for ourselves as much as they are something that we live into. And the great paradox of the riches of the kingdom is that no matter how much we share them, they just keep multiplying. Multiplying. So contrary to a theology of scarcity where we think that we've got to work hard to grab our share of the pie because there's only so much to go around and if I don't make sure I grab mine, there's not going to be enough for me when it's all said and done. The reality of the kingdom is the more that we welcome others in, the more we expand the circle to include those who have too often been left out, been marginalized, been oppressed, been victimized. The more that we include, the greater the blessings we find for ourselves as well. Thirdly, and lastly, Paul calls our attention today in his prayer To be the church that recognizes the immeasurable greatness of God's power. If you were here two weeks ago, you may recall that I shared the Christ hymn that is found in Paul's letter to the Philippians. That hymn where we hear that in Christ, God completely flips our understandings of power on their heads. Because what we see in the person of Christ is that, he, remember the passage, he did not grasp after equality with God as if it was something to be exploited. But he emptied himself in choosing to come into this life in human form, to be among us, to become fully obedient and surrender even his very life when his mission and his ministry called for it. A full and complete surrender that was then honored by God in his being raised up in resurrection and raised up to the place where we acknowledge him as Lord of all, as Christ the King. The power of God is on full display in the cross and the and the. Power is fully realized then in the resurrection. And what Paul says today in this prayer is that the same power that was at work in raising Christ from the dead is the power that is at work in the church. It is a power that can only be realized when we stay connected to Christ, Which is why Paul then uses the analogy of the body and the head. We, the church, are the body of Christ. And Christ is the head. And in order for us to realize the power that is ours, we must stay connected. Because apart from that connection, we go down all kinds of trails about power that have nothing to do with the kind of power God has in mind for us. We misuse and abuse power. We manipulate power unless we stay connected to the source. So I have a friend, a pastor um, in this conference who from time to time when he is in a group of people and they are talking about discipleship um, and what it looks like to live into being followers of Jesus, He will say, I am powerful. You are powerful. We are powerful. But that power can only be recognized when we stay connected to the source. But we do have power at our disposal. Because each of us, as followers of Jesus, have the ability to choose. We can choose to stand up, to speak up, to show up. We are called in our very baptismal vows to resist evil and injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves Because we, my friends, as Paul prays over us today, are a people in whom God has invested the same power that was at work in Jesus' own resurrection. And God is seeking to be at work in the church today, raising up witnesses who will share the good news with the world who will stand up and speak up and show up. So that hymn for today, Be Thou My Vision, some of you who are musician types um, or maybe just people who are curious and like reading in the hymnal when we have a hymnal in front of us uh, may may know that that particular hymn is sung to the tune that is known as "Slain," S-L-A-N-E or sometimes S-L-A-I-N. Anybody know where that name comes from? Anybody? Ah, good. I get to share new information with you today. Slain is the name of a hill in Ireland. And so the composer of the tune Slain wrote this as a tribute to St. Patrick. And the story behind it is this that uh, St. Patrick, you may know, was a missionary to the people of Ireland. And early in his time there, in the year 433, on Easter Sunday, St. Patrick defied an edict from the king of the Druids in that region at that particular time, who had ordered that all fires throughout the land must be extinguished until the king had ignited his great fire that would bring light to the sky and draw attention to himself. And St. Patrick, in opposition to this unjust and unrighteous edict from the king, chose to mount the hill of Slain and light a tremendous fire that could be seen across the land and from the king's own hill as well. Pointing to the light that Patrick found evident in the scriptures alone and the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Patrick was powerful and it was a powerful witness that he chose to share for Christ as a way of drawing people's attention to the light that shines in the darkness. And the darkness could not overcome it. And his actions, we know centuries later, sparked a movement across the land of Ireland. Clifton Black, theologian and professor at Princeton, says this, if Christ is king, then Christians... Are not helpless victims. They are conduits of Christ's immeasurably redemptive power. The church is the very body of his fullness that fills all things with loving goodness. I am powerful. You are powerful. We are powerful, but only as we stay connected to the source. And so, church, where will we show up, stand up, speak up, so that the world might see God's love at work? in us, may God indeed open the eyes of our hearts to see our way into God's glorious future. Will you pray with me? Be thou our vision, O Lord of our hearts, Help us to see, Lord Jesus, your way and grant us the courage to follow in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.